y'all got that? These batteries have been jumping out of this thing like crazy. But it's a good day because I have rubber band them in. You guys were concerned perhaps we wouldn't get through today, but I've got it right here. But not only that, we have two people with birthdays. Now, perhaps I would get in trouble if I wouldn't mention their names. And I don't want to ever get in trouble. So I'm just going to say this. Maybe as you leave today, one of the questions, if someone looks just a little older (laughs) and a little wiser, it would be a good question to be able to say, hey, is it your birthday? Now I'll give you a little bit of a hint. Someone, I think, over in this lower section. And someone way up in the balcony. But other than that. So it's a good day. It's a great day. It's Sunday. And we get to meet as a community, as a family. I really am glad you're here. Remember I've shared with you, as Sharon and I have got to know you, that I married up. Now, you guys all know that term, correct? Married up? Well, I just want to say that that whole row over there, part of marrying up, is joining the Warren family. So I'm just grateful you're here today, and that's part of the marrying up thing, so, you know, you can kind of greet them later and, and so on. You know, every Sunday, we gather to worship. We sing we pray, we serve, we give, and we open up God's Word. Amazing privilege. It's so important. We teach families to know and obey and enjoy Christ so we can be salt and light. Well, it's been a few weeks since we've been in First Peter. Literally, this is our 14th week in First Peter, and we're going to get back there today. So you can open up your Bibles to First Peter chapter 5 or your flat screens, and we'll eventually get there. But let me just remind you a little bit about what is happening. Peter, who is the apostle, is nearing the end of his life. And it is a little bit hectic for him at this moment. He's an older pastor. He's been in the trenches literally about 30 years. His body bears the ministry scars. His face is withered, but his eyes continue to dance. He shares with a group of kingdom patriots how to live as exiles or temporary residents or foreigners or sojourners. In other words, although this life Well, it's important. It's not the most important. It is just a blip in the radar. The first century believers are trying to journey well between these two worlds, living here and anticipating the next. Exiles just don't focus on the here and now. Sojourners don't. Temporary residents or foreigners These Christians had met God. Their lives were transformed. But they were confused and hurting. They were going through a lot of persecution. People were hurting. People were dying because they named the name of Jesus. 
And so they were wondering. And so Paul, as an elder, or Paul, as a pastor, writes this letter. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter witnessed some amazing miracles. Peter was part of some amazing miracles. Peter knew the gospel. He knew how the gospel transformed people. He knew that the simple understanding of God's grace, that that God sent his son to die for you and for me, to shed his blood so that he might redeem us or restore a relationship back to us. And by putting our faith and trust in him, we begin to be transformed. And that's the life that God has called us to. And so the older pastor, Peter, is trying to remind these folks of all that God had done. And that God was enough. And then in spite of the suffering, in spite of the hurting, in spite of the pain, that Jesus was present with them. He knew they needed encouragement. So in our text this morning, Peter talks to church leaders church congregants, and then to both of them. I've asked Andrew, would you come on up, Andrew, and read for us our text, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And now a word to you. Wait wait one second. Okay, now we're good. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I, too, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. I gave him the code words. Let's pray. Father, once again, I am just so grateful for all that you've done in our lives. I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. I thank you, Father, for the power that it gives us. It gives us perspective. It gives us understanding. It gives us the ability, Lord, to be able to move forward with great energy. I pray, Father, for all the churches in our neighborhood, even now, who are presenting your word and are worshiping you. A couple come to mind, Father. I think of Grace Point Church. I pray, dear God, that you will be with them. I ask you, Father, that you would be with House of Prayer and that you would be with the Torch of Faith. We are so grateful again, God, to be a group of people that meet together, um, learn from you, understand who you are, and change. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. 
Peter begins by appearing to the elders. He appeals to them in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Let me first define the office of an elder. Elders are senior leaders in a church. The church is a local body. There are two church roles or offices mentioned in the scriptures. There are elders and there are deacons. And I would imagine as you start looking at this, and if you are newer to our fellowship, you're going, of all the times to pick to come to church. Wager's going to be talking about leaders, elders, I'm not one of them. What is going on? Well, if you are patient, I think this will make sense to all of us eventually. But here's Peter. He's talking about one specific role. He is not talking about spirit-given gifts. Now, a few weeks back, we talked about how every believer has received at least one gift in order to be used in the church in order to equip others or to help others in their journey of life. Elder is not a gift. It's an office. Elders are godly men who pray and shepherd the flock. They are God-appointed leaders who focus on the flock's spiritual health and formation. Deacons, basically, are God's leaders concerning primarily with the physical needs of the flock. Now, there are many other offices or roles within a church, but they're not mentioned in the Scripture. One very important that's happening right now is called the VBS Coordinator. All right? Over these last few days, she has been working hard and recruiting people and getting ready for our week of vacation Bible school. And I'm excited to be part of that and working and serving with her. But there is no VBS director in the scriptures as far as I can see. All right? There's some others. There's the church clerk. Very important, but not mentioned. All right? And so on. But, but the Bible spells out qualifications and roles for church leadership. We find that in elders, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, chapter 5, verse 17, and in Titus, the first chapter. We find out the roles for deacons in Acts chapter 6, and in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy And I'm going to read from chapter 3, the first seven verses. You can follow along up front if you need to. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer, because he might become proud 
and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Elders are chosen by God. They're in a process. They're on a journey. They are not perfect. And they don't always hold up the mantle well. But I can share with you this, is that elders in our church are chosen by God and affirmed by this flock because of their character and giftedness. Although academic excellence, experience, or financial skills are often helpful, they are not what the qualifications for leadership in the church are as they would be in a university or in business world. Specifically, right here, the Cross Point Elders. We have six of them. Six elders that have been elected. Six elders that have been appointed. Six elders that are caring for this flock. The pastor is the first among equals. I do not have more power or more authority at all in the elders. We are a team. Now, one of the things that I recognize is that we have been called, as we're going to see, to care for the flock. There are three things that are really important to me. We are not having some new decor, but what I wanted to do is show you these three items. This one here was a gift given to me. It came from France. And one of the high school students, way back in ministry a long time ago, brought this back and it's a French shepherd. Last year, I had an opportunity to go to Israel, and I got this classy olive wood shepherd. And before I left my last church, I was given a gift that I cherish, and it's a shepherd's crook. These things remind me over and over and over again what my privilege is and what the other five guys' privileges are. And we're going to look a little bit at elders. We're going to try to share with you how together we're going to move forward as a church, and I just think that you're going to be encouraged. So Peter, the older elder, says this, care for the flock. I'm just putting it down. There was a few of you starting to fall asleep. (laughs) Literally, what Peter says is this. Shepherd the flock. It's an imperative. It's something that, that he says over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, elders, your responsibility is to care well for the flock. The word shepherd literally could be translated pastor. Now, we're all very familiar with Psalm 23, where David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, slash pastor. Elders are shepherds under the authority of God, and elders focus on the health of their flock. Now, if we're honest, some of us really don't like the sheep metaphor. We don't. We don't like being called sheep, We don't like being called a flock 
I mean, I would much rather be called a lion or an eagle or a grizzly bear. To me, much better. <laughs> but no, sheep. Rather pathetic, if we're honest. Sheep do not have a good reputation. Sheep are rather weak. I don't ever, and, and maybe I'm wrong and you don't have to Google it now, but I'm not so sure there's ever even a mascot of a sheep. You know, the fighting sheep of Grant High School. Yeah, no, like, that's a bad picture. I know there's rams and there's other kinds of animals, but, but sheep, they're soft and cuddly and furry and fuzzy and all those things. Philip Keller wrote a book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he says this, It's no accident that God has ca- uh, chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Sheep do not take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. John MacArthur, one of my favorite teachers, says this, It's not surprising, then, that Jesus likened the disoriented, confused, unclean, and spiritually lost crowds to flocks of sheep without shepherds. They also, or or they could not feed themselves spiritually and had no one to lead them and protect them. The prophet Isaiah also compared humanity's lost condition to that of stray sheep. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to its own way. Since even believers are prone to wandering, taking in what is bad for them, becoming unclean, and are highly vulnerable, defenseless on their own, and often naive, the demand for shepherds who are faithful and responsible is compelling. And when the church is under severe persecution, as it was in Peter's day, it is even more vulnerable and in greater need of strong, godly, effective shepherds. I don't know if you remember, but caring for sheep was a big deal for Peter. If you recall, Peter spent three years with Jesus. He had the opportunity to live with Jesus, to learn with Jesus. And, and he was one of the top three of the disciples. So he got to experience things that even the other nine did not get to experience. But at the end of Christ's life, when he was crucified and all the disciples dispersed, Peter was one of them. In fact, a little bit after Christ's death and resurrection, Peter was just kind of looking around and wondering, what am I going to do now? I spent the last three years with Jesus. He taught me everything I needed to know. I'm feeling a little lost. In fact, I'm a fisherman. I might as well go back fishing. In John chapter 21, many of you know the story. He took a few of the disciples with him and said, hey, I'm going to go back fishing. And Jesus showed up on the shore. And he made a fire. And he began to cook some breakfast. And the disciples noticed it, and and they shouted out to the guy, and and he said, hey, why don't you toss your nets on the other side? All of a sudden, some lights came on. said, could this be Jesus? 
Is He coming back to talk to us? Is He here to give us some more encouragement? And they listened and eventually they rode in and, and they saw Jesus and, and Jesus gave them some food. But in John chapter 21, starting at verse 15, after Jesus had walked with these guys, loved these guys like crazy, he needed to remind them of their purpose. And this is what he said. After breakfast, Jesus called Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Looking at this fish, the pile of fish. He said, yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. Jesus told them, or, or Jesus told them, then repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time and asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. That Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus was going to leave in just a few moments. Jesus was going to leave the future of the church in the apostles' hands. The Holy Spirit was going to come upon them shortly. And they were going to speak in unbelievable power and begin the movement called the church recorded for us in the book of Acts. Peter knew this was critical. If the church were to grow, if people were to be cared for, and if the apostles, who had this great connection with Jesus himself, who spent all this time with Jesus, would be so easily disoriented and forget very quickly all that God had done, he said, there's going to be a need for some good shepherds. Care for the flock, Peter. Do that. Now let's look at shepherds. Shepherds are folks that provide a place for food and drink for the sheep. Now, I love this picture of the shepherd, and I'm thinking of maybe dressing like this from now on and kind of coming in. And then, then all of our elders, if we all dress like that too, you'll know who the elders are, and you can point them out a little bit and, and that kind of a thing. But, but shepherds are folks that live with the sheep. They make sure sheep have good grass, and clean water. Because basically sheep will eat wherever they are and drink whatever they get. If that happens, sheep get sick. They don't get fat. They're not very happy. They're kind of grumpy. Shepherds look after them. But you know what? They can't force them to eat and they can't force them to drink. But perhaps one of the most important things that shepherds do is feed the flock well. And that's making sure they understand God's Word. Secondly, shepherds protect. But they can't force them to stay in the pen. There are predators out there. There are bears. There are wolves. There are lions. And as long as they stay within the pen, 
The shepherd can protect. The shepherd can care. And there are things in our culture and things in our world. Not again that God calls us to be almost Amish-like where everyone kind of clusters together and doesn't even venture out into our world. But that we might be able to warn and encourage you to make wise decisions. Shepherds establish healthy rhythms of life. If there is one thing that the sheep in our culture do is that they're harried. They're running all over. They're busy. Shepherds are there to encourage that there's times for rest, a time for reflection, a time for ministry, a time to exercise, a time to sleep. Shepherds are also there to discipline. You can't ever force sheep to listen or obey. But I think one of the hardest tasks of a good leader, of a good elder, is to be able to sit down with a sheep or with some sheep who are going in a poor direction, a wrong direction, something that's going to hurt them, something that they continue to do or travel in, and to say, hey, this is not right. Sometimes it involves tears. Sometimes it even involves the whole church coming together in order to beg that they would listen to their good God. It doesn't always happen. But shepherding really is a lot like parenting adult children. You see, the one thing about adult children is that they really don't have to listen to you. Have you noticed that? Some of you older parents... You know, when they're a little bit younger, four or five, you can still kind of scare the liver out of them, you know? But realistically, when they're 35 and 40 and even older, uh, you parent them differently. You look at them differently. You talk to them differently. And I think that's a little bit like eldering. Not, again, that it's so much one level down to the other, but, but that there's this camaraderie. You know, we as elders here at Cross Point want to shepherd the flock well. We want to do better. Some of you have received phone calls. Some of you have literally had times of coffee or, or shared a meal together. As we ask you about your journey, about your heart, about how you're doing, about areas that you're struggling in, about ways that we might be able to pray for you. Some of you are looking like, whoa, am I doing something wrong here? <laughs> You know, like, why is the pastor calling? Like, is he going to yell? Or why isn't you can put the name in there? And literally, the only reason is to be able to say, hey, how you doing? Can I encourage you? I really know life is hard. I know there's some scenarios and situations. Can I pray with you? Can I walk with you on the journey that is what we hope to do. But Peter then in this text literally warns us about two elders' vices. Two things that elders might do really poorly. One is, is that you got to remember that caring for the flock is hard work. There are times that elders begin to juggle and recognize, you know what, 
I'd love being an elder if it didn't involve sheep. Oh, man, I got to go after this person. I got to make this phone call. I think I'm just going to take care of myself right now. And, and really, I'm more important. You know, an elder may feel like that at times, but realistically, Peter says this, the focus is not on them. It's not in your game. Caring for the flock will always be an inconvenience. It just will. It just is. And then he says this, don't misuse your authority. Don't lord over or be a tyrant, forcefully ruling over. Here, I think Peter forbids the use of arbitrary, arrogant, selfish, and excessively restrictive rule. He implies that elders should not govern by use of threats, emotional intimidation, flaunting of power, nor generally by the use of political force within the church. Actually, elders should lead by the power of example. That's what your elders need to do. And that's what God has called us to do. The chief shepherd says in our text, will come, and by the way, it's the only time it's ever used in the, in the whole New Testament, and reward you someday, just like any other task that God has given you, whatever that is, however God has equipped you, whatever role He has given you, He just wants you and I to be faithful. And He will reward those who are faithful, no matter what they do. Now Peter shifts gears, and if you look at chapter 5, verse 5, I'm going to read it again. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. Now this is where I bring the hammer down. Just kidding. Not going to do that. You all have many translations probably that you read from and maybe even in front of you right now. And this, I'm just letting you know, is a really hard verse to translate. I am not even trying to skip rope, but if I can just share with you this, is that Peter kind of puts people in two categories, those who are elders and those who are not. And I'm just going to call them congregants at this moment. But basically what he says is, hey, you who are the congregants, you who are non-elders, accept your leadership's authority. Remember, God has assigned your leaders. Receive their authority and trust God. Now the question will always come, what does receiving authority look like? Does that mean whatever these elders say, I just have to say yes, sir, and, and march to it? No, it doesn't. But I don't know if you remember this, but over the course of life, you have many different kinds of experiences. But let's just say you end up going to camp someday. And, and excuse me, your kids do. And uh, they've never gone to camp. They're a little bit afraid of this whole situation. But you've been to camp. You understand camp. So you give them the old take advantage of all the things at camp speech. All right? And you sit them down and you say, hey, this is what it's going to look like. These are the meals, what it's going to look like. This is how you actually behave and be, you know, you have to do this and you make sure you better sign up. If they don't sign up, you're not going to be able to do these activities. And you give them all the instructions. Well, you do that because you want your son or your daughter to experience the greatest 
amount of joy and fulfillment in this area. Well, I think sometimes one of the things that I have a privilege of doing, once we talk about membership or we talk about partnership in our church, is that we're able to sit down and say, hey, what does a good member look like? What does a good partner look like? What do congregants actually do? We just show up on a Sunday. We just kind of sing some songs. We put something in the plate. What, what is the deal? How, how do we do this well? Well, I think... Peter kind of makes it simple. He says, hey, what I'd like you to do is receive your elders' authority. I want you to make their leadership joyful. Let me give you some examples. First of all, I think you could pray for your elders. You may not even know who they are, but now you know some of them and would literally begin to just talk to God and ask God to protect and encourage and strengthen I think when elders talk to you, here's another very practical thing. Be authentic. Hey, how's your heart? Oh, I'm fine. Um, what can I pray for? Oh, nothing. My, my life is just perfect. Um, uh, how, what are you reading lately? Well, you know what? I just read through the scriptures and God just teaches. Just be authentic. We're not there as some kind of a judge. We're there as a shepherd. We want to encourage you. We want to strengthen you. And if there's some areas, some detours, some areas in your life that we could do that with, we'd love to do that. Our elders do that for each other, but be authentic. Be available. There's so many times that, you know, personally, we want to be able to fit into our schedules and your schedules, but we love to be able to just chat with you, talk to you. And maybe if that opportunity comes up, you might be able to make a little more of a priority, be able to do that. I'm not saying in every case, but, but that would be helpful. Another thing I think that would be helpful would be never speak evil or slander any elder. Now, let me just share this with you. We're actually not supposed to slander anybody, but especially leaders. It just carries some ugly consequences. But if an elder, and the scripture is clear on this, goes off a reservation, is going haywire, is going crazy, is very ungodly, does not submit at all to what God is saying, the scriptures tell us in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that a few people get together and they confront that person in a loving way and be able to ask certain questions. But I encourage you to interact. I encourage you to question. I encourage you to share your heart with elders. But just like anything else, treat them like you would like to be treated. That's all. That's what the scripture kind of says. And by God's grace, which is all of First Peter. Because remember, we're honoring political leaders in this letter. We're honoring authorities. We ultimately have got to be able to trust God to do the work that he's going to do. We need to listen to God and trust God with those who are above us, our bosses, our authorities, and allow God to do his work. Now this is the exciting part. All that kind of comes to the very end of chapter uh, of verses 5 and 6. But wrapping it up, this is what Peter says. And all of you, 
He talked to the elders first. Then he talked to the non-elders. But now he says, all of you, elders and non-elders, I want you to dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but favors the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. For everyone, leaders, followers, if you're in this place, what I want you to do is literally put on humility. Well, what's humility? You can turn to Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 3. The greatest definition of humility. And this is what Peter says. Peter says, this is what I want everyone to do. Everyone that walks in these doors. Everyone that leaves this door. Anyone that calls this place your home. I want you to be humble. Philippians 2, the apostle Paul writes this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others better than yourselves. If you write in your Bibles, this is what you should write, definition of humility. The definition of humility is right there, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Then Paul writes on, he says, don't look out only for your own interest, but take a special interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took a humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue shall declare that Jesus is is Lord. Isn't that amazing? We literally recognize that we are not going to be honored in any way that we ought to here on this planet. We think of others before we think of ourselves. And the example that the Apostle Paul uses is Jesus, Son of God, Creator all-powerful, who chose to come as a baby, to live on this planet for 33 years, to model for us what love looks like, and then to pay our debt. Humility. Thinking of others first. The Apostle Paul even presses on a little bit more. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, Imitate God. Oh, wow. If some of you guys received my tweets, I focused on this this week. And I looked at it and I said, Imitate God? Like, seriously, Paul? Like, God? Whoa. But what he was saying is this. Hey, if you're a child of God, if you're a kid, you always want to imitate your dad. You look at your dad. You love your dad. You want to hit the ball like your dad. You want to be as fast as your dad, as strong as your dad. Well, some dads. Some dads aren't so good. But if your dad is a hero, that's what you want. 
And that's all he's saying. He's saying, hey, your dad is amazing. Live your life like he does. And then he ends the text that actually scares me a little bit. God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. i got to be honest. I do not want to be God's enemy. I don't. But how many times over my many years has my arrogance and my pride derailed me? Because of my own selfish desires. And God says this for everyone. I will oppose you if you are not humble. I will. I will be your enemy, God says. So humble yourself. And at the right time, this is key, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to trust I will take care of the timing. I'm not even sure. Your job is to trust me. Is to listen to me. Is to stay humble. And I will lift you up at the right time. Now I do want to just say this as we kind of bring this to a close. God wants the elders in our church to be amazing shepherds. To care well for this flock. But I also want you to know that God gets really riled up when leaders are poor. All the way through the Bible, God talks about leaders and talks about shepherds and about not caring well for the sheep. Now, if you have notes or you want to take your notes, write down these passages because it will blow you away. But I'm going to read just a little bit out of Ezekiel just to share with you a little bit what God thinks about shepherds who don't care for their sheep well. Son of man, which is Ezekiel, says this, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourself instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, you wear the wool, you butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered throughout all of the mountains and over the hills, across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. If you read the rest of that prophecy, he basically says this, shepherds, because you have not done your job, I am your enemy. And then in verse 11, uh, God talks about him being a good shepherd. He goes, since you shepherds have blown it, I'm going to take over. You know, we are a church. We are the Crosspoint flock. Actually, today I was going to use a player and a coach metaphor. 
And I think it would work in some ways where there's players and there's coaches, but it didn't fit. The reason it didn't fit is that almost every game that I know uses players and coaches, not life or death. It's not. Sheep and shepherds do life together. It's way more important. There are shepherds and there are sheep. And a healthy flock shouts. A healthy flock is united. It's fat. It's happy. It's fearless. It's at peace. It's a place where people are loved. And leadership is respected. It's a place where everyone humbly serves each other while listening to the sheep shepherd. Can you do that last slide for me, please? It's a place where everyone, everyone humbly serves while listening to our sheep shepherd. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much just for the opportunity to be able to share your word we ask at this time, God, that, that you would give us grace. I pray specifically for the elders in our church. I pray, Father, for Dan and for Danny. I pray for Dave and I pray for Nate and I pray for Tom. And I pray, dear God, as we together care for your flock well, that you'd give us discernment and that you'd give us wisdom and you'd give us understanding. And I pray, Father, that our people love you more and love others greater. I ask you, Father, that, that our leadership, when there is sin in their lives, they repent quickly. We pray, Father, that, that they would lead honorably. And I ask for the flock, God, that you give them wisdom in grace, in energy, that they might experience life, all the life that you have given them, that they might not just exist. We ask, Father, for all of us that we would humbly serve each other, that we would understand what family is and what family means. And that we would grow in your grace. We are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.